This is a podcast about sound, how it impacts your life and the people who are creating the sound of the future. Welcome to Powered by Audio, supported by EPOS. Based on pioneering audio technology, EPOS strives to unleash human potential by perfecting audio experiences. Learn more at eposaudio.com. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. In this episode, we're playing video games and listening closely as we do. It's estimated that the global video game industry earned over 179 billion US dollars last year. That's more than the movie and music industries combined. So we can expect continued investment in video games, including new audio technologies that make players' experiences even more fun. Our first guest wrote the book on video game audio design, several of them actually. Rob Bridget is the audio director at Eidos Montreal, responsible for the sound, music, and mix of popular games like Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Rob, welcome to Powered by Audio. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. So Rob, according to our research, the common stereotypes about who plays video games are not very accurate, actually. For example, only 20% of gamers are under 18. And according to the Entertainment Software Association, the average game player is actually closer to 40 years old. It's at 39 years old and has been playing for an average of 13 years. Can you elaborate on this a little? Yeah, I mean, we've, well, I, I sort of grown up as a gamer as well. I mean, I remember getting my first video game, well, computer, let's call it that. I was born in the UK and we had a, it was a ZX Spectrum. It was this small rubber keyed sort of computer with 48K memory in it. And, the, you know, we the same thing everybody does. The idea was that we were all going to do our homework on this computer and it was going to be something that helped with our schoolwork. And then the first thing we, we did, my brothers and I, was play games on it. And that's basically all we did with that thing. And then since then, I, I think like entertainment and, and gaming has sort of become really synonymous. Uh, and you talked about, you know, cinema and the, the music industry. And it feels really like we've come, not full circle, but uh, we're, we're, games are really at the cutting edge of, of this sort of culture, I think, where like entertainment culture, where you'll start to see like influence on movies and on cinema from video games, you know, like the sort of action sequences and things like this. And, and even like a lot of the audio mix that you hear in the cinema now with Dolby Atmos and like many, many speakers surrounding the audience. This is also really interesting. And I think something that audiences who are familiar with video games are very used to that that kind of sound, that kind of immersive audio uh, from the games that they play and being immersed in a world uh, as well as a story. So when you're uh, sitting and thinking about a new game and, and design, who do you have in mind? Like, who are you picturing? Are you picturing like the avid, the stereotypical gamer or are you picturing yourself or, or who? I guess initially it's sort of, it's myself. I work as a creative audio director and I work with uh, an art director, design director and a creative director. And we, as a small sort of director team, we conceive of our game really as a kind of, as an experience, as a, almost like we, we picture it initially as sort of halfway between a movie and this sort of world that you can be in. And I think I think we always start off making it for ourselves. We're 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 really keen to explore the things that excite us in terms of you know culture and and whatever the whatever the sort of cutting edge technology is at that at that time. We sort of pin our dreams to that, and then 
as we go, as we build the game, we're very keen on like user research and audience research. And so we will test out our idea. We'll even test the concepts that we're, that we're putting together and we'll, we'll get an, a, an audience sort of cold in front of those ideas and, and see the reaction to that. And then we'll tweak as we go. So yeah, it's, it really isn't like you say, it's really not about one kind of audience anymore. You're really not focusing on one particular kind of player. The goal is really to embrace as many players and as many people as possible and to and to have them, you know, be in your world and react to that world. So yeah, it's it's, it's the audience is really is really big and we we definitely recognize that. Yeah. So you mentioned you do a lot of user testing. What does that mean? Like, do you just watch people play your games? Do you talk to them? I, I, I'm so curious, you know, asking for a friend, if you ever need a, a, a 39-year-old mom to play your games, you totally, know? <laughs> we, totally need, we totally need that, yes. There's various different types of, of user testing that we do. Uh, so some of it is user testing where we'll just, we'll present like a, a concept to a, to a group of people from different backgrounds, different age ranges. And we'll, you just get the reaction at other times it's like real play tests where we bring in people to play our game or or a small section of a game that that we've worked on and to give us feedback and and we and we watch them we have a, a lab at the office where we can we can watch them be, you know behind the sort of one-way mirror and they they know that we're watching it it's okay it's not like a it's not like a strange police situation we even have like eye tracking technology that shows us on screen what the they are looking at on the screen which is really fascinating um obviously we, with sound we also try to get as much feedback uh, uh, on the sound as well as possible and what their what their reactions to certain situations are but the main thing we're interested in is their overall impressions and you know what were the things that they loved about the experience and what were the things that they thought we could improve about it so I love that. It's so so exciting. You know, you don't you don't think about all the work that goes into developing these these popular games. So Rob, you're an accomplished author. Your first book from the Shadows of Film Sound compares designing audio for movies to designing audio for games. I'd love to hear a, mo- a little bit more of your thinking there cuz sound it helps tell the stories in both, but it seems like it's pretty different sound for for video games rather than movies or TV. Yeah, totally. I studied sound for film at university. I've never worked in in sound for movies other than the student projects that I helped do sound for at, at the time. And so when I came to work in video game audio, my whole frame of reference was from a sort of storytelling movie kind of perspective. This is like 20 years ago. There weren't really even audio director positions at that point. It was I had to invent my own title. I didn't want to be called an audio engineer, which I think is what they hired me as. But um, a sound designer was what I wanted, so we we agreed on that. <laughs> but but essentially, that role was you know handling all the sound in the entire game, from you know music to sound effects to any voice of any characters and casting and things like that. The only thing I had to reach for was like the film sound background that I that I learned about, and so I've always approached it from that point of view, which which I think is a really useful point of view, especially now in the in the sort of new context of of this being a big blockbuster entertainment medium. And I've noticed this gradual change over the years in the industry of being thought of as like a software development environment, and it's slowly changed to be thought of as a as an entertainment environment now. So it's 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 been a really interesting sort of 
to see that slowly happen and to see, you know, more roles appear for like creative leadership and creative visionaries and the technology side to support those ideas that you want to put on screen. Another element of that is I've really noticed this. And again, film sound was was the sort of instigator of that where all the audio work that you used to do would happen in post-production. It would happen in this kind of thin period of time at the very end where you'd, you'd come in with the composer and with the, you know, the sound designers and you'd do all your work. On the finished game, you'd just apply the sound to that finished game. Whereas now, I've seen this migration of sound into a much more iterative development environment where you know sound is is part of that team who are trying out ideas and and concepting things at the very beginning of game projects we're still at the end of course we're still at the post-production part but that's become a much smaller section of, of what we actually do well, I think that's what's so fun about working in a, uh, a fast growth industry like this. I often find myself in text saying sentences that like, wait a minute, not one word in that sentence even existed a year ago. <laughs> and now like yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying it like it's common knowledge. So it's it yeah, must be yeah. fun to be in the middle of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, that's what I love about it as well is that it's not a job that I can ever really learn how to do. Every day is different and every project is totally unique. There are experts in the field, but they're, they're these strange experts that are always, are always a sort of expert in a, in a very small thing that's only happening in a small time frame. And then they, they need to forget that and move on as the technology changes and as the audience changes and you start to make something that's that's quite different. I think that's really interesting, yeah. Was there um, a project you worked on that was most challenging? Or I know you said they're all unique, but most unique, if that's even a, a phrase. I mean, I could name any one of them and, and, and it would have its, they would have unique challenges. Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, like the first big game that I worked on was a game called Scarface, The World is Yours, which was an open world game, which meant you could kind of go anywhere and do anything, kind of like a Grand Theft Auto style game. But it was based on the 1983 Brian De Palma Scarface movie. So, so it came with all, it came with all that, all that sort of, um, you know, expectation around, oh, that, well, like, how's the story going to work? Cause Tony Montana died at the end of the movie. And if this is a sequel to the movie, like, how does that? So, <laughs> so that was, that, that had like lots of interesting story challenges. We wanted it to feel as much like the movie as possible in terms of the sound approach, but the technology wasn't quite there yet. I'd never mixed a video game before. Like we'd never, we'd never even thought about. Well, like, shall we balance the sounds in these things? You know, so that they they make sense to the audience. And so we 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 had to come up with this entire post production sort of time period at the end, where we took the whole project, myself and the audio programmer, we flew off down to uh, Skywalker Ranch for like four weeks. We mixed this video game and it was kind of, it was kind of like this, this big deal. It was, like a, it was like a kind of, people would come in and see what we were doing and suddenly you're in this like world-renowned studio with, <laughs> with all, the, all the sort of top sound design talent and working on a video game. It's amazing when, when you think about it and really pioneering. It's funny because, you know, here we are, we're talking about how audio plays such a huge role in video games, but you've also been known to tell audio designers to, quote, stay out of the way. So what what do you mean by that? How do you both play such a, an important part and get out of the way? That's a trick. I think that's something that we have to be conscious of as, as sound designers and as, as people who work in audio. 
we've really got to be conscious that the story and the experience that the player is interacting with is really the important thing. The most important thing isn't the sound that we're making for it, and it isn't the, or it isn't the music cue, or it isn't the dialogue line. It's the experience that that player is having. So we don't want to come in and just steal the show. And like in the same way that the film sound works, it's like we're we're part of that storytelling world and it, and it is a in a video game you you have sort of 20 plus hours of experience to put on screen it's really not like a movie where it's like a 90 minute experience we actually had an amazing foley artist on our last episode who was teaching me about all kinds of tricks he was saying when you hear rain in films it's actually bacon frying and now i'm so hungry anytime it rains in a movie now that i've learned that yeah. i'm curious um, especially <laughs> for your tomb raider game or or any other games um how do you get those realistic sounds? Like, do you travel to any of the exotic locations? Are you using Foley artists in, in cool ways? It's always a combination of those things where ideally you want this sort of authenticity that the player can believe in this world and that it feels as realistic as you want, as you need it to. So yeah, we'll use Foley artists for things like our footsteps and our cloth movements and all the things that you really, if it's not right, if it's not perfect, you'll really notice it. And that, it goes to that point again about staying out of the way. Like if, if if the sound really doesn't match and sync up with what you see, that can be one of those moments where it, it's, it stands out too much. So we're, we're very conscious of that. And so we will work with, with Foley artists. But we also, like in the, in the example of Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which was the latest game that I worked on, the location was the you know, Peruvian Amazon jungle. There are a whole bunch of like specific sounds that exist kind of only there, really, in terms of bird life and, um, you know, sort of uh, animal life. And so rather than me going to South America to try and attempt to record things, which I, I know would have been a complete disaster. <laughs> I'm not good in the, in the humidity and, and the heat. And then it's a very dangerous place. So I I'm, so I'm, I'm always want to stay away from that kind of thing. It makes sense for me to sort of reach out to sound recorders who are familiar with that environment. They've either been there or they, or they live there and, and have recordings, like the Oropendola bird, which is this very beautiful, exotic-sounding bird, which... You know, it's sort of, it's it's very specific to the locations. Anyone who would know that location or, or know South America would kind of be more very familiar with the correct ambience being there. And yeah, like howler monkeys, which is this really bizarre sound. It's almost like something from a horror horror movie. It's a very scary sound. So once you've assembled this material and this research... Then you have to figure out, okay, well, like, what's the what's the point of view of the character in this situation? Like, is Lara Croft like comfortable in this jungle and doesn't notice the sounds in the game? When you first arrive in the jungle, it's the plane crashes into the jungle. She wakes up from the plane crash. She's in the jungle, and we just surround the player, finding the right sounds to overwhelm the player, just so that they feel like Lara would in that situation in this new environment. Is a really nice way to sort of introduce this this new environment to the player and so yeah i think i think authenticity but then picking the right sounds based on emotion i think is the is the sort of storytelling part of that as well well you've certainly been involved in so many amazing evolutions of of audio and gaming what do you see in the future what are you excited about that's on the horizon right now the really big thing, I think the really most exciting thing for me is called very broadly spatial audio. It's a way of really surrounding 
the audience with with sound. One of the more exciting aspects of that is that it's you can deliver it now through head, just just through headphone technology as well. So it's it's very accessible to our audience. In previous years, an audience would have to have like a, a lot of speakers in their room, a very expensive receiver, you know, it's a separate room almost to put all this stuff in. <laughs> and so it so it was sort as of as one has obviously. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't have that. <laughs> It was a very traditional high-end audiophile sort of audience that that had that. And they no doubt get an amazing experience listening to our games in that environment. But now we can have like really, really accurately rendered spatial audio on headphones that you get the sensation that sound is above you and behind you and around you. That really opens up a lot more of the sort of these sort of wow moments and this this you know experiential storytelling that we can do and we can really put out all our players in that in our world and really immerse them so so I'm very excited about just the accessibility of that and then all the time processing is getting faster and the the computer chips are getting faster and the hard drives and the streaming is getting faster and we're already at a point where I think sound is very high fidelity it's very high quality but like just removing any of those barriers is is really is really great because we can really deliver a, an extremely high end experience. That's really that's really exciting. Well, Rob, it's always so fun to talk with someone who is so good at what they do and so passionate about it. Thank you for representing your profession so well here on Powered by Audio. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Powered by Audio is proudly supported by EPOS. Clear sound in any environment is important for doing business. With innovative voice enhancement technologies, EPOS allows you to hear and be heard perfectly, making it a lot easier to perform at work. Whether it's talking to customers, working across time zones, or listening in when decisions need to be made, it's about communicating and collaborating with efficiency. Find out more at eposaudio.com. 24 million people play a game called Counter-Strike Global Offense, or CSGO for short, but only a few are good enough to play at the professional level. My next guest is one of the top athletes in esports today, a member of Cloud9's Counter-Strike team, and he joins us from Copenhagen, Denmark. Welcome to Powered by Audio, Patrick, or should I say uh, S-Tag. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I understand you literally just came from practice, so I'm very glad you could make it. Yeah. Take us through, first of all, like what a day in your life. What does that look like? What does that even mean to just come from practice? So a day in my life, like breakfast on the menu, a shower. Then we have at 11, we start a theory. So we talk like mistakes from previous practice we had and uh, what we're going to go through, what we're, what we're going to be focusing on, new stuff we might, might want to add to our strap book and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, then we practice against really good teams and, you know, hopefully beat them. If there's less mistakes, there's less to talk about. And if there's a lot of mistakes, we have another theory break in between. So we basically play for seven hours or on and off seven hours. And uh, yeah, it's it's a nonstop job, as as you can see. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious how this all began for you. A career as a famous esport athlete, which is a sentence that didn't even exist a decade or so ago. I mean, when you were a kid playing video games, did your family think like, wow, Patrick's so good at this, he should pursue this as a career? Or like how how did you get into it? 
There's actually a funny story attached to that. So my dad, you know, he got me really very early and uh, my mom as well. And they were separated already, like when I was age three or something. So at my mom's, I wasn't really allowed to play because, you know, blood, yada, yada. It was a big fuss about that. And my dad, so I was there every every weekend. And basically my entire weekend was basically just playing games, playing a lot of Counter-Strike, uh, the old versions back then. It didn't really occur to me. Like, it was just a hobby. Like, I was just playing a lot. I was very good at it. I beat everyone, you know, uh, who, who was a lot older than me. And at one point, I think it was when, when I was 18 and I was about to graduate from, it's called gymnasium uh, here in Denmark. I'm not sure what it's called in the UK or, or, or in the US, but it's college, I guess. So I graduated that and my dad was convinced because I wanted to take off a year of pursuing gaming. And he was convinced that he had ruined my life. Like, he he was absolutely convinced that this was terrible. This was all on him. This was his fault. Like my life was going to be ruined. I was going to turn into one of those bums who played World of Warcraft in my mom's basement 10 years from now, right? So I'm really glad I got to turn that around and uh, and prove him wrong. And now he's, you know, he's my biggest fan alongside my mom. So it's, it, it turned out really great. Okay. So obviously he didn't ruin your life. So I'm curious, what was the moment where you realized like, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to be able to make a living from this and turn this into a career? Like, was there one moment that you were like, wow, like, this is actually going to work. <laughs> it wasn't immediate at all. There was a point where I had to, where I, where I joined a team. This is like, I think five years ago, uh, where I joined a team and finally got a salary, my first salary. I was just happy that I was able to support my mother at that point because she, she was going through a rough patch uh, financially. So I was, I was able to support her with a lot of money. Uh, well, not a lot of money, but it was it was not like a day to day thing. It was it was multiple steps throughout my career. It was always, you know, hardship and getting through stuff. And eventually you get to where uh, you're making a lot of money. And I guess it's funny how it happened. Right. Like and it, it was over like a lot of years, I guess. I mean, some people might be surprised that revenue from esports is expected to pass a billion U.S. dollars this year. So when we talk about being a professional gamer, it's very professional. What does it take to be a top esports athlete? Like, what distinguishes the top athletes and gamers from everyone else? I would say the main thing is hard work. If you really want to surpass all the others, you need to do constant work. I basically play from my mother's room. Like, I came out and I was I was playing computer games at a very young age. So I think I got some of it, like the talent, with me in that in that regard. You know, adding on to hard work, like there's a lot of stuff that you need to to know about gaming. There's a lot of game sense that just needs to be built into you. Making sure that you have some kind of like fitness as well, because it's very stereotypical if uh, like you think of gamers and constantly eating pizza and you know drinking sodas and whatnot. But uh, that's just not the lay of the land anymore. Like you need to have energy in order to to really do what you need to do to become a professional. So but then CSGO and or just in general esport, I think there's a lot of people who are right behind you, you know, wanting your spot. So it's about constantly working hard. I'm curious uh, if you can talk a little bit about the team that is required to be successful in esports, not just the four teammates that you have playing, but everyone who's supporting you. Nowadays, for most esports teams to have like a coach, an assistant coach, someone who analyzes both your own games and uh, your opponent's games and gets you prepped for when official matches are coming up. We have a mental coach, which is super important because especially, well, not right now, but usually when COVID is not around, we're traveling constantly. We usually have like 200 days traveling uh, a year uh, to different parts of the world. So you're living up and down each other at months on end. And honestly, like... It can get pretty bad with, with six guys living together um, most of the time. So it's really important that you get to talk about your issues, you know, exercise, which is super important for us to, you know, to keep the energy up for our daily lives so we don't fall asleep by the end of the night. Um, all these things that are connected to us is uh, it's super important for us and what is required from us daily. So 
So what was it about CSGO that made that your game of choice? Funny you should say that. Counter-Strike has been dear to me like since I was five years old. So uh, and I, it's it's been the, the game that my dad loved. And like I think a lot of those things kind of just affected me. Counter-Strike has always been my baby in a sense. So uh, I think uh, it's really great that that's where I ended up as well. And and I still have great passion for the game, even after playing for, I think, 14,000 hours, which is a hell of a lot. So yeah, I, I love the competition. There's still some adrenaline that, you know, rushes through me whenever I play a match. So as long as that doesn't fade out, like I'll be staying in Counter-Strike forever, hopefully. The competition sounds intense. Like you're saying, there's always someone right behind you ready to take your spot. Because this podcast is about sound and audio, how do you use audio to be competitive? Is it about the audio gear that you have? Is it about using sound to trick others? I'm curious. Sound is probably, to me, the most important thing and what sound is also communication, right? And all those things, all those aspects, like relaying info to your teammates that they can react off is like super potent to pinpoint the, directly where the, the, the enemy is. So your teammate can swing and have your crosser like trained on him is also super pivotal. Like a uh, crosser placement is what we call it. So sound is like really, really important. And faking with sound is, is stuff like you can throw a uh, grenade if you get hit by them, like you, like you've probably seen it in movies. You get tinnitus and whatnot so you can't really hear as well and so there's a million different examples of that that you can constantly use to, use to your advantage an example could be that if you go on the upper ramp there's a wood sound and then at the bottom ramp there's a single box made like a tiny box made of wood so if you were to jump on the little wooden box they would think you were on the upper because whenever you hear wood, like you would think he's on the upper ramp. It's a constant thing. Like there's there's a lot of sound things that just you know really makes the game more in depth. It's so fascinating. I want to touch on you mentioned using audio cues with your teammates and kind of giving each other clues through audio. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little more? Um, Don't give away your your secrets of the trade, obviously. (laughs) For example, this could be one thing. If you were to rush a place where usually like sound is really pivotal, you wouldn't be able to run the last four uh, seconds because they were able to hear you the entire way. But if you throw a Molotov, it kind of muffles the entire sound. Same with grenades, Uh, like I said, tinnitus. Like if you throw these kind of things, then you would be able to run the extra four seconds giving you time to take a peek that the opponent won't expect. Um, for example, whenever I'm playing a certain position, I would often be able to hear like smokes being thrown outside or something like, let's say, free smokes being thrown outside. I would be able to hear that. And a lot of the same grenades go around in Counter-Strike. So you know where those free smokes are being thrown from often. And then, okay, we know where three of them are. And then one guy is shooting with a... With an AK in inside lobby or something, and the other one is shooting with a Galil. So two different weapons are shooting. So we know where all five of them are, which makes it for me to relay info to my teammates that okay, you can push this far and get into position, right? So they wouldn't expect you to push, but because you have the five sankus, it's okay to take that risk. Audio technology it keeps evolving. We're hearing a lot these days about binaural sound, spatial sound. I'm, I'm curious if if that provides an advantage. I have my headset. I know what headset I like. I basically just always use the same, like as long as I'm comfortable with it. Uh, and if you know the the audio develops and everyone jumps on the the wave and say it's the better, like of course I'm going to jump on it. Like I'll take any advantage I possibly can. But I'm not. I'm probably not the one to be testing it because often when you change the audio and you feel like you can't hear something that you usually hear, like you start seeing ghosts, I, as I, I like to refer it. To it, you start like thinking that there's something wrong with the headset or there's something wrong with your audio, and then you're second guessing yourself. 
yourself. And you know, one of the aspects of CSGO is is like really known for is having confidence. If you're not feeling confident when you're playing, you're gonna perform a lot worse. It's just the confidence is everything in Counter-Strike. For sure. What does success look like for you a year or a few years from now? What are, what are you hoping for? I want to win a major. I'm yet to even beat like a minor qualifier, but I've been good at, at other tournaments. Like so, so I really want to attend that major, get that sticker, you know, um, cement myself within the game. That would be the dream for me with the Cloud Nine team. We want to get to that major. Want to want to beat the 2018 Boston success that everyone likes to talk about. We want to create a new one. Fabulous. Well, I, I have no doubt you can get there. I look forward to uh, to catching up again when you do. Patrick Hansen, aka STAG, thanks for joining us on Powered by Audio today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Andreas Yesen is EPOS's Senior Director in Global Product Management and Marketing for Gaming, so he's imminently qualified to talk about audio and video games. Andreas, we're so glad you could join us on Powered by Audio today. Happy to be here. Now, we just had a fascinating conversation with an esports athlete, and he was adamant in saying that audio is very important in gaming. You're probably not very surprised by that. So maybe you could lead us off by uh, giving your opinion on why good audio equipment is so important in gaming. Well, Esports athletes. I mean, we're now in the it's in the competitive scene, right? And and it's you know reacting that split second faster, not thinking about what's happening, but just reacting to it. And audio has a, has a little bit of a you know advantage. The ears have almost like a shortcut to your brain. You can almost instantly react when you have the right audio cues. It's absolutely crucial that when you're playing a top paced game, games like Call of Duty or Counter Strike where it's, it's down to did he throw a HE grenade or was it a flashbang or was it a smoke grenade? And every one of them have different sounds. And when you ask the players, they just know by the sound. They don't even look at it. It's, it's down to those little cues that make up, you know, the split seconds in a, in a professional game. That's, that's super crucial. My husband and my two sons play together and they're not even that competitive in the world of gaming. And the sounds that are coming out of that room, it sounds like it's an Olympic sport. What other competitive advantages? I mean, you mentioned the fact that things are going on so quickly, players need to listen to cues, but what other competitive advantages can good audio give a game player? With the professional team you have at home, they know each other pretty well, right? Let's say they couldn't see each other, but they're just listening in on the chat. And if you don't have a microphone that represents your voice in a natural way, then, you know, uh, I see him becomes, you know, a question instead of an answer. Like, who sees him? There's the message, like, I see him. But in that message, there's also, okay, who said that? How does he sound? Does he sound very stressed? Is it, is, you know, all these small things we don't think about. And, and that's the difference between having a high-quality microphone where you get the details in what he's saying and how he's saying it instead of just getting the, the message across. So in most teams, there's five people. And even in, in a game like League of Legends, is it the top lane? Is it the bottom lane? Is it the jungler? Like, who's talking right now? It's little things, but it's a lot of these little things that add up to a competitive advantage in the long run. Then if we look at reacting and understanding the game, most games are, are being played in stereo. Some games are being played in surround sound. And understanding if a sound is coming you know, 15 degrees to the right or 25 degrees to the right, that's a huge difference. And if your speakers in your headset are not designed in a proper way from the factory, well, let's say one speaker is playing 5 dB louder than the left one, that 
distorts your whole stereo image. So what should have been 15 degrees to the right suddenly sounds like it's 25 degrees to the right because your right speaker is overplaying the signal. So stuff like that is super important. And it's for competitive players, and it doesn't have to be pro players. I have a lot of people who are friends and, and colleagues who play. It's almost as important as life and death for them. You know, It's what they do, and it's what they entertain themselves with. So it's super important to have the right equipment and, and at least have that advantage. Absolutely. Beyond the competitive aspects, maybe uh, for a more recreational gamer like myself, what else does audio add to a game? I mean, it's interesting. You really got me thinking about all of the competitive aspects it adds to the game, but um, what else should I be looking for? It's really interesting to discuss good audio as a concept because if if we ask our customers what is what is important when buying a headset, non surprisingly, it's it's good audio, and then we ask, okay, out of these twenty competitors, who has good audio? Uh, they all do. Then what is good audio? For me, good audio is a good representation of what is being played, a natural representation. So I usually tell people, if you really want to have a an understanding of how something is supposed to sound, pick something you know. I, I know 100% how this is going to sound. For me, it's like a series of five Beatles songs that you know I've listened to to endless times, and I know how they're going to sound. So if, if there's something off, I'll hear it right away. But it can also be, you know, phone up your mother. <laughs> how does she sound? And then you get these small cues. It's about natural representation of, of how something is supposed to sound. That's a, a really great way to, to figure out how to compare the headset. So next time I'm going to go and uh, put on that Baby Shark song because I have an 18-month-old. That's the only thing playing. And I know that song really well now. And then I, I can I, I judge. Could, I could use that one too. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious if there's a difference, Andreas, between gaming headsets and headsets for business or, or other use and uh, if they're designed to depict sound differently. Well, there are differences. I mean, there's differences down to the mechanical design of a headset. Comfort, for example. Some businesses actually accept to have something on your ear because it's slim, it's light, you can easily take it on and off. Whereas, you know, when we design a gaming headset, which, to be frank, some gaming sessions go into the five, six hours, we try to avoid completely touching the ear. So there's a lot of pressure points that we've learned a lot about. We have a parent company, Demand, who makes hearing aids, and there's a whole science behind where can we touch and where can't we touch. So in, in, as a gaming headset, we just try to avoid touching the ear completely. Then when it comes to sound, we have more bass response on a gaming scenario than we do in a business scenario. There's two reasons for that. One is bass has a tendency to increase immersion and a feeling of being there. And if you've ever been to a concert and heard a really great song and then you come home, you put it on your uh, stereo, and it's just not the same feeling. Yes, you have two ears that you listen to, but you actually listen with your whole body when you're at a concert. That massive energy just hitting your chest, that's part of the experience. A pair of headphones can't give you that experience because we, there's not enough energy in there. So what we try to do to trick the brain is that we slightly increase the lower frequencies. So the brain has this idea, okay, there's a really massive energy in the room here, even though you don't have that body impact. For some applications, for example, this podcast, we probably have a little bit more depth and warmth to it, but that's okay because we're going for something of an intimate affair. If you take a call center, for example, they have no base in their headsets because they just want to hear the message and they, it's not so important they, because they don't know the person on the other end. It's just important that they understand what they're saying. So there can be different ways in how we tune a headset depending on the, on the use case, for sure. I want to take a vocabulary lesson now because I've heard you mention the word pupillometry, which I have never heard that word before, but I, I think it, 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 you know, I'm going to let you explain it. So vocabulary lesson time. Okay, so so 
what we know is that the brain operates with two centers. So there's the uh, orient and the focus. And, and the cleaner a signal of both we can provide, the less the brain has to work. The brain is trying to make it as easy for itself as possible. How do we measure if people's brains, you know, are working overtime. One way is put EEG, like these weird helmets you've seen probably in some like science class and see like, okay, and we measure beta waves and alpha waves and all these things. But an easier way is just to measure the size of your, your pupil because when you are stressed or when you're really focusing hard on something, your pupils have a tendency to widen out why that is happening. <laughs> I don't know. I just know it does It does that. So when we test a headset, for example, for um, if we introduce noise, is it blocking out noise? Is, is this affecting your brain's ability to think? Then we can actually measure you know, your pupils and if they dilate or not and see if your brain is working overtime. Our brains are quite the instrument when it comes to audio. I don't know if you've ever been you know, right outside a conversation. You can almost hear what the conversation is about, but you can't really hear it. And then it's like you can focus on it and then you can understand it. And that's because your brain can actually filter out a lot of noises uh, in a really smart way. So if we take that example back to headphones, yes, you can have a headphone that is a little bit inferior and maybe it has like some distortion and it'll be okay. But after one hour, you'll feel that you're more tired than had you had a good headset on. So it's like we want to make it as easy for the brain to focus on the stuff that's at hand. That could be a business call, but it could also be a Call of Duty game. So, so in, in, in our world, those, those are almost equally important. That's what we use pupillometry to, to figure out, like just to see how much uh, the brain is, is working overtime. We, we also have another word for, we call it listener's fatigue. If you've had a crappy headset on, in the olden days when you got these really cheap headsets on a flight, it, it can be a little bit distressful. Plus, you have all this jet engine noise coming in also. So your brain is really working hard just to understand you know, that in-flight entertainment. So that's what we're trying to avoid. And one of the tools we're using is pupillometry to do that. That was a long story to explain it. <laughs> it's a great story. And uh, I love learning new things here on this show. Andreas, one of our earlier guests said that gaming sound is becoming more immersive in nature. I'm curious if kind of this new spatial sound gives gives players a competitive edge and, and what that even means for the future of sound and gaming. I think there's two sides to that. One, one is that, you know, the consoles and the p computers are getting bigger. You have more uh, memory available. So in the old games, when you opened a door, it sounded exactly identical, all doors in the game, because you had one file and that you, you would play that one file every time a door opened. But today we have, the, we have more room available. So we put in, you know, different sounds for walking on grass or walking on stone, and, and we can put more variety into it. That makes a game more immersive, because if you hear the same looping of sounds over and over again, that breaks a little bit the glass between you and the game you're in. But if you get more variety, it becomes more natural and becomes more lifelike. The other thing is that spatial audio is, is starting to become much more popular. It's also, to be honest, starting to be better. It's utilizing the fact that how we as humans interpret where audio is coming from. Most people have this idea, you can't make surround sound because you only have two speakers. You need seven speakers to make surround sound. But you only have two ears. <laughs> so technically, we don't need more than, than two speakers. And the way the brain works, it uses a lot of cues to detect where audio is coming from. It's actually, funny story, it's not part of our DNA. It's something we learn over time. So that's also why you might see babies looking for sounds in the beginning. They're like, they're not sure where they are because they're, they're learning. They have to see, you know, okay, I heard that sound and I saw it over there. Okay, that must mean it's coming from over there. The way the brain works, it, it uses mainly two cues. It uses the time difference between your ears and the level difference. 
you don't think about this, but it's it's happening all automatically. But another one, for example, is that if sound is coming from your back, it's just a little bit more muffled than it was if it was coming from in the front. That's another cue your brain uses. So we use all these cues and we make an algorithm and then we we mix the audio so that when you even if you're using headphones, it sounds like the audio is coming from all over. So with that coming in, you know, it's just becoming much more lifelike and natural to play a game. You know, I think that's one big step in the right direction. For sure. Andreas, okay, close us out by looking into a crystal ball. What do you think is the future of audio in video games? Well, I have, I have dreams about what I hope is going to happen because I, I, I play a game called, you know, a medieval dynasty. But it's like every time you go to a, you know, an NPC, a character in the game, and, and it's always chat-based. But, you know, I have a speaker at home, you know, Alexa, and she can more or less speak everything. So, you know, something about, you know, voice-generated uh, signals in a game so you can actually have, you know, more natural conversations with characters in a game without having to re- pre-record every single game. Uh, so procedural audio, you can, you can call it. I think that that is probably going to be part of the future. One thing is going to happen in the games. They're going to get better. They're going to get, you know, more advanced audio in them. And one is that people are going to want to invest more in the equipment that they actually play that audio on. The computers are getting more more powerful. The consoles are getting more powerful. That's going to increase the immersiveness. And then what something we have noticed is that when I started in, in gaming and product management, the average price of a gaming hit was really, really low. And I think it was... Now it's become a hypothesis, but gaming was not so socially accepted back then. So it was more like, I'll, I'll buy a headset, but I, I'll put it in my drawer when I'm done and I'll put it away. So it, I, I will maximum pay $50 for the headset. But today, you know, it's more socially accepted and you're willing to spend more on quality. Of course, you can have a 7.1 surround and a sound bar and use tons of money on that. But I think gaming will have the same sort of journey that, that yes, of course, you can invest in good quality to, to better your immersive experience. Perfect. Well, we live in a very exciting time. And uh, Andreas, you must have a fun job staying on top of it all. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. My thanks to this episode's experts on sound, sound designer Rob Bridget, professional gamer Patrick Stag Hansen, and EPOS's Andreas Yesen. On the next Powered by Audio, as any parent can tell you, education is changing. There's evidence that some types of sound can be helpful to students while others could be holding them back. What has distance learning taught us about audio? We're going to school. On the next Powered by Audio, it's supported by EPOS. Speaking of audio, if you like what you heard, please give us a review and be sure to subscribe to receive that next episode. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. Thank you for listening.